I just want to take a look at a couple of verses this morning, uh, verses 13 uh, through 15. The, the context here is that the, the wise men or the magi or the magicians or whatever you want to call them, they have, they have in, in the narrative of Matthew 2, they have come um, and, and the birth of Jesus has taken place. They, the wise men have come to Jerusalem looking for the king. And Herod, of course, they inquire of Herod, who is, Herod is really like a, the, the, the first antichrist, really, in the New Testament. He really, really is. He, he's, he's, out, he's out to do in Jesus. He's, he's out to, to, to kill Jesus because he is, um, he was incredibly jealous and he was incredibly possessive of his rulership, of his reign, and he was incredibly insecure. He had little man's disease, all right? He really did. He was a short guy, I believe, anyway. But, but it was, there was a saying about Herod that it was safer to be a pig in his stall than to be a member of his family because when he got wind that he thought that his family was going to overthrow his reign, he would put them to death. Uh, he, was, he was just a, a brutal man, a vicious man, um, and he hears about this king, so immediately he wants to stomp out the threat. He wants to try to put Jesus to death. And, of course, he tells the wise men, when you find the child, come back and let me know where he is so that I can worship him too. But he had a really strange way of, of worshiping, if you will. And, of course, he was, he was just saying that. Uh, and, and the wise men are warned. So they go back to their country a different way. It says they were warned in verse 12. They were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. The Magi left for their own country another way. So they here God again is speaking in dreams to the wise men, and then again in verse 13, he speaks to Joseph in a dream. Now, I don't know about you, but I had... Um, I'm having more vivid dreams. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of sidetracking here. But I had this really strange dream probably a week and a half ago. I was studying the Bible. I had, anyway, I had this dream. I was studying the Bible. And when I, wo I woke up, I continued the study for another hour awake. It was as if I hadn't skipped a beat. That was weird to me. But anyway, actually, you might hear that next Sunday. I'm not sure yet. But it's out of Romans. Um, but but I, I was just... Because I was thinking about the Word of God, I don't know. My my dreams are strange, and they're they're. Like I said they're much more frequent. Um, and no, I'm not going to turn this into the dream church. So let's go show up and see what Pastor Mike has to say about his dream of the week. No, we're not doing that. Okay, but uh, I want to teach the Bible. Continue to teach the Bible. But I do want to recognize that, especially Joel says that your young men will see visions, and your old men will do what? They will dream dreams. So what does that say, uh, at least about me? But nonetheless, because uh, I, um, I would say pay attention to those. Because it could be that God is trying to speak to you in some way, shape, or form. I'll just throw that out. Your mileage may vary, okay? God spoke to the wise men in a dream. They went another way. It says, and now when they had gone, behold. In other words, pay attention. That's what the word behold means in, in modern 2022 English, okay? Pay attention. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, <coughs> and he said, get up. He says to him, get up and, and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt 
and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt, and he stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened so what had been spoken of by the Lord, underline that, if you will, what had been spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, which is Hosea, would be fulfilled out of Egypt, I have called my son. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning concerning this passage uh, and concerning how you prevented Herod from successfully killing Jesus even before he really got started and how you move in, in very natural yet supernatural ways and how, Lord, you purpose to fulfill that which you promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 of this restoration by which we might be saved. So, Lord, help us to glean from this passage, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Now, I like the New American Standard, which I read from in, in that passage where, where it says in, um, in verse 13, it says, get up, right? That's, that's pretty modern English, isn't it? Now, the New King James says, arise. That's, that's really, that's New King James-ish, isn't it? Arise, all right? Um, what's funny about this word, I looked it up, it's a verb. Right? Verbs are what? Action words. And it is in the passive voice. I thought that was interesting. Now, if, if I, I remember I was in high school. I actually remember when I was in high school. And the school was overcrowded. It was built for about 2,800 people. We had about over, a little over 4,000 in the school. And so I had my, my last year um, government class in the teacher's lounge. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a teacher's lounge at a high school, but they had really nice chairs. And when I w my last year in school, I stayed up really late. And um, so when I got to class, I was tired. And so I sat down in the teacher's lounge in this really nice, comfortable chair, and there was another chair in front of me, so I kind of scooted it over, and I put my feet up. And lo and behold, I went to sleep. And the teacher saw me sleeping in that nice, comfortable chair, and he, had, he picked out another student who was much bigger than I was and says, wake him up. And so the guy kicked my feet out from under me, and I woke up, and I just looked at him, and I looked at the teacher, and it was like, it, it was an abrupt thing. And it was really given in the active voice, right? I had to wake up. So needless to say, I never fell asleep in that guy's class again, all right? But what I find fascinating about the here is that this is a verb in the passive voice, which means the subject is the receiver of the action. In other words, God w did something upon uh, Joseph in such a way that woke him up. Kind of like every time our heater goes off at night, it wakes me up, I don't know. But... but uh, so God is acting upon Joseph. And Joseph might have been in a very deep sleep. You know, he'd entertain guests, the wise men. And by the way, were there three? Probably not, all right? 
How many were there? Who knows? There's always speculation about that. Often we like to think about three because of the three gifts, right? But we don't know how many wise men came. Um, But nonetheless, God acts upon Joseph in such a way that God wakes him up. In other words, after one, during the dream, Joseph might not have woken up. Right, he might not have woken up. Or have you, when I wake up from a dream, you know what the first thing I want to do? Most of the time, go back to sleep, right? Especially it's in the middle of the night. I want to go back to sleep. But God woke him up. There was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of urgency. Because as I read through this text, I get the impression that Joseph woke Jesus and, well, They probably just picked up Jesus and carried him off, but woke up Mary, and they departed that evening. They didn't mess around. They didn't didn't fool around at all. Remember, they were not from Bethlehem. They were probably staying in, 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 hard to imagine, because there really weren't hotels in in those days. We don't really know where he was, they were staying, but they were not in their home country, so they got up and left. And, and of all places, uh, they get up and they go to Egypt. So God moves on him. This, in, in, uh, in New Testament studies, when we see these, these passive voices that happen to people, often it is referred to as a divine passive. passive. In other words, that which God has done to the person. That how God has moved upon the person. And, and it, it's, it, it's, the only way I guess I can describe it is at times, do you ever have that just strong sense, that real strong sense that you're supposed to do something? Did you, and, and hopefully you have had those, but hopefully you've also understood that that's probably the Holy Spirit moving on you. And the divine passive of the Holy Spirit moving upon you and, and, and leading you in a, in a particular direction. Now, th- we have to be careful of this, of course, because sometimes it is the Holy Spirit moving on our lives. Sometimes it's the enchilada that we had the night before, all right? A- and, and to be able to discern the difference is, is really the key. But, but here, this was a time, I believe, that was a sense of urgency, and God moved upon Joseph and and woke him up in the middle of the night and said, because Herod's going to come and he's going to seek out the child. Herod is going to come search for the child to kill him. So they left for Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament is an interesting place because it is the place from which Israel departed from that's what the book of exodus is all about but it has also been a place at times throughout the old testament i was going to write put in my notes i've decided not to but i'll just make this mention it is at times a place of refuge which is really kind of strange because when when um isaac Actually, when Joseph originally went into Egypt, remember he was sold into slavery uh, and, and eventually became um, 
the second in the nation, and had uh, the, his family come of, of Jacob and, and, and the, the, the 11 other patriarchs and their families come for refuge in Egypt. Eventually, what happened to them? They went into slavery. But nonetheless, God calls Jesus into Egypt. It's also prophesied about Jesus in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, if you've read the book of Hosea, the 11th chapter, the out of Egypt I have called my son is a reference to whom? Israel. If you read Hosea in its context, it is not referring to the Messiah. It is referring to Israel. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I might add, takes this verse and applies it to Jesus. He takes this verse and applies it to Jesus. How, how are we to make sense of this? I'm going to get back to that question. I'll get back to that question. I got a little ahead of myself, but it's the day after Christmas, so bear with me on this one. I think it's interesting. You see, Herod wanted to kill the child, Jesus. Now, If you've read the Bible, have you, do you remember some of the stories whereby God has supernaturally delivered his people in different ways? Think about Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel wasn't involved in this. It was uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were put in the furnace, and then they were cast in the furnace. They looked in, and there was one like the Son of Man running around in the furnace with them, the fourth person in the furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace. They were unharmed. God supernaturally delivered them, right? Why did not God supernaturally deliver Jesus during this time? Why did God make him go to Egypt? Good, I don't have an answer either, okay? First of all, I think within the context of that question, we have to recognize God's sovereignty. And God will do that which he desires to do. God could have protected Jesus supernaturally. He could have protected Jesus supernaturally. Now, he supernaturally, in a dream, warmed Joseph, did he not? But he called Joseph, this is important, he called Joseph to act in very natural means to further the plan and the will of God. Basically, they got up, packed their suitcases, and left. They acted in a very supernatural way to be part of the fulfillment that God had in his plan for the Messiah to come into the world. Now, it's interesting because I thought of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Uh, two angels go into to, uh, Sodom and they warn Lot, you got to get out of the city. 
you got to get out of the city because we're going to destroy it, and we cannot destroy it until you leave, right? Remember that story? It's in Genesis. If you remember the story, Lot just kind of hung around. He didn't, he didn't want to leave. And they basically, a little bit of an exaggeration, but they basically had to drag them out. You know, you guys got to get out of here because we can't destroy the city until you leave, and you've got to leave. And so essentially the, the angels kind of pushed them out. So God has a way of encouraging, but then what happened? They walked out of the city. They were not transported out of the city. We do see stories like that in the Bible where they were transported. Philip, as an example, was transported. But very often it is that God will work in supernaturally in very natural ways. And because we are doing it in the natural, it doesn't always feel supernatural to us, does it? But nonetheless, it's a part of God's plan. God called Joseph to take Jesus into a foreign country where he might find refuge. We call that a refugee today. And really, that is exactly what happened here at that time where Jesus and, and his family, of course, he's not, he's probably a, at most a couple of months, maybe not even a few months old. But Joseph and Mary had to flee on foot because of the persecution, which was highly political, by the way, because they were worried that Herod would find the baby and he would be put to death. And God calls Joseph to do something very naturally to prevent Herod from being successful. And they stay in Egypt until Herod died. And after that happened, then they went back to Nazareth, which was a little town kind of like... Uh, Culver up there, right? It's just this little out-of-the-way place. But it was out of Egypt that God called his son. Got to go back to that question. Because this is given to us by the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It's also given by the wayward prophet Balaam in Numbers 24, verse 8. And, and notice what Matthew tells us. Let's go back to verse 15. I'll read it to you in the New King James. It says, they departed from Egypt, verse 14, and was there until the death of Herod that he, it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Okay, that's really an important phrase to recognize. It was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Hosea gives us prophecy. Hosea 11. He's talking about the nation of Israel who was known, known as the son or the firstborn of, of Yahweh, of God. And Hosea is probably, I'm going to a little speculation, a little bit, okay? Your mileage may vary, take it with a grain of salt. Hosea is probably thinking the simple interpretation 
God is speaking to him concerning the nation of Israel. Well, and may not be aware that while he is speaking and then therefore writing what we have in Hosea 11, considering the simple interpretation, God is speaking of Israel and not fully aware that God may very well be ha have something else in mind aside from or in addition to the nation of Israel that was given to us through the prophet Hosea. In other words, what I'm saying is that God is dropping a hint. Remember I've given you the four different interpretations that the Jews have for Holy Scripture? And you have the simple, you have the hint, you have the search, and you have the secret. Four different ways that the Jews interpret Scripture and they consider all of them valid. All right? Hosea, no doubt, is giving us the simple interpretation in his book, but God is dropping the hint that this prophecy that he has given Hosea refers to something more than just Israel. It does refer to Israel, no doubt about that. But God is saying, there's something else here I'm trying to tell you. I'm dropping a subtle hint. You're not going to get it now, but eventually you will. Matter of fact, I would have never gotten it. It wasn't for Matthew writing this, okay? Because I go to Hosea 11, and I don't see, I don't really see um, the Messiah in Hosea 11 without the help of the New Testament. So these things are kind of hidden. There's actually, it's also that interpretation. This is actually hidden, and now the New Testament begins to bring out a fuller, uh, greater, not only understanding, but a fuller, greater purpose of God that is now being revealed to us. Does that make sense? So they saw partially in the Old Testament. Do we see partially today? Yes, but I think we have a little bit brighter light and a little bit wider angle of a photo uh, lens. Lens? Yeah. yeah, but we have a little bit wider angle today than they did back then. That's part of how God progressively reveals. Now, think about that because when we get into heaven, I don't know about you, but when I get into heaven, I'm going to carry full units. I'm going to take as many classes as I possibly can because I think we only understand in part now. I think when we get into heaven, there will be so much more being revealed to us, so much more that God had in his mind when he declared these things, but they were beyond our capacity to really comprehend. To me, going to school in heaven, you know, that sounds to me a whole lot more fun than wearing a white robe and sitting and playing a harp. Um, so God further reveals to us that way back when Balaam spoke in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, way back when Hosea spoke in Hosea chapter 11, God spoke and said, yes, I'm talking about my children, my people, Israel, but ultimately I'm talking about my only begotten son, the Messiah, 
who will I will call out of Egypt when the first Antichrist, I'm using that category loosely, all right, but when the first Antichrist finally dies and it is safe for him to return to Nazareth. So, this calling out of Egypt to me is it's, it's important because, because, first of all, when Israel, when Israel left Egypt, it was a literal, literal, actual event, but it was also very symbolic, very symbolic. It in itself preaches sermons to us if we let it, because it is a deliverance. Moses was called to deliver, but did Moses actually deliver Israel? God did. All right, we know that. All right. It's a work of redemption where God redeemed his people through the ten plagues. So finally Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here. Um, and, and so it's a calling away from the sinful world. It's a calling away from Herod. Because whenever good establishes a presence, evil is not too long to come against it. That's, that's why when, when you have those victories that you have in, in, in Christ as you continue to grow in your faith, then all of a sudden you have victories. What's normally, what's normally, what, what is normally going to happen in your life after you have some type of a victory? You're going to end up with some type of opposition. Because that's really how it works. And, and really, to me, when I, when I encounter difficulties, when I encounter opposition, that tells me I'm actually doing something for the kingdom. But it's a calling away from the sinful world. And um, what we also have here, and this is highly important, is that Jesus is very strongly identifying himself through his own actions and patterns of his life, he is strongly identifying himself with the nation of Israel. As they were called out of Egypt, and the act of them coming out of Egypt was a picture that later on is fulfilled when Jesus is called out of Egypt as well. And remember, according to the book of Galatians and the book of Romans, all the promises that were given to Abraham, and why do I bring up Abraham? Because he is the father of faith. He is the one by whom Israel pointed to as their father. But he is the father of faith that all the promises that are given to Abraham are given to us as we trust in Jesus as well. It's not something just given to the Jews or to Israel. It is given to the, the people of faith. And we become the people of God's promises when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
So yet he is strongly identifying with Israel. Remember, because he is, he is, is he the Messiah of the world? Yes. Okay. But is he also Israel's unique Messiah? Yes, he is. Now, they rejected him. But it was through Israel that God chose that the Messiah would come forth and be the light to whom? The light to whom? The world. Thank you. The light to the world. And as Paul told us in the book of Ephesians, we then become a part of the commonwealth of Israel spiritually when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus strongly identifying with his chosen people because now I understand that this is this is a little bit of a this is more Eastern thinking than it is Western thinking. All right, I understand that, uh, and, and particularly the Easterner, Middle Easterner, they would they would, they they might have a fuller understanding of this just because of their cultural uh, uh, way of thinking. Um, but nonetheless. When Jesus identifies with Israel, he is actually identifying with his people of faith. Therefore, he's identifying with you and I. Have you ever had a time that you've had, in one way, shape, or sense, had to go wait somewhere else before you were able to go forth and continue on with what God has for you? Have you ever done that spiritual refugee, if you will, or gone through those dark times, if you will, will spiritually, as you're, you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the opposition to finally be defeated, then you can be released and continue to move into that which God had for you? Because ultimately it was God's plan for Jesus to get to Nazareth and to grow up in Nazareth. But he had to put him in Egypt for a period of time so that Herod would, would basically die. And so the threat would be no longer there for Jesus. See, when we become Christians, we identify with Jesus. In the book of Romans chapter 6, And I'm not going to read the whole thing for you. Um, but the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul gives the answer to this rhetorical question. And that is certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him, that is Jesus, through baptism into death. And that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. When I'm, I'm not going to continue on in this passage, but, but when, we, when we are saved, when we become born again, we are given a new identity. We respond to the, the invitation of the Holy Spirit to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we then identify with him. We identify with Jesus. And in doing so, he also identifies with us, does he not? And we identify him in, in our baptism. Now, I believe that baptism is an outward experience of an inward, uh, excuse me, it is an outward expression. Ex there, better? Okay. <laughs> I saw that look. I was like, uh-oh, I said something wrong. It is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's what happens on the inside, what happens in your heart, in your soul, in who you are that really matters. Because as my old pastor who married my wife and I used to say, if you have not had an experience inwardly between you and Jesus, you go down a dry center and you come up a wet one. Right? That's all that happens. It's an inward experience. But it is a change of identity. It is an inward experience that changes everything about you. It is a change of identity. It is a change of who you are. You now live by a different parameter. You live within a different construct. You are now kingdom people. You're no longer people of this earth. You are people of the kingdom of God. We live differently. We identify with the king of kings and with the Lord of lords who comes and identifies with us. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in all ways, yet what? Without sin. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. I don't, I don't know how long he was in Egypt. A couple of months, a couple of years. We're not sure. But he was a foreigner living in a foreign land. Because he had to flee because of political oppression that was very real in his life. And because he experienced those type of things, he is able to save us to, the scripture says, to the uttermost. That's New King James. I don't use that word much. The uttermost. Completely, totally, fully, without any type of reservation. That's what it's talking about. And, and so God calls his son out of Egypt in the same way he called Israel out of Egypt, in the same way he calls you and I out of our spiritual Egypts. And he sets our feet upon a rock. So my, my question for you as we close this year Where has God called you? Has he sent you to Egypt for a while? And you, that may very well be the case in your life. Has he sent you to Egypt 
Or has he called you forth from Egypt? Are you like Joseph who God moved upon and awakened? And, and it, again, the, the text tells, tells us that Joseph did not waste any time. Now, remember, they went there by foot. Now, they might have still had a donkey, all right? But they went there primarily by foot, and there were no streetlights. And they couldn't stop by REI and pick up those headlamps, right? This was not an easy thing. He had to at least begin the journey in darkness. Now, obviously, the sun came up that day as they were traveling. It took a few days to get to Egypt. But I think that's an important thing that we don't want to overlook either, is that begins the day in darkness. Just like the beginning of Advent. He begins the day in darkness and looks forward to his glorious light. Because as we looked at Wednesday night, the life of Jesus is the light of man. In John chapter 1. So he identifies with us. Ephesians 1 tells us he is the head of the body. He is our head. He is whom we take our orders from. He is whom from which we get our life sustenance. It is him, the head, from whom we have our life. Amen.